Welcome to Is It About the Weather, a podcast where we explore the many ways that weather intertwines itself into our lives. I'm your host, Mark Jelinek. This week, inquiring minds want to know, do honeybees make good weather forecasters? Now, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago when we were talking about sweet weather, right, about the sugars. And I mentioned it looked interesting, maybe, that, you know, the lead-in story. So I've done a little digging, but we'll get to that in a bit. First, we're going to talk a little bit about Zeta. And actually, I guess I could even mention Ada. Ada is now out there, tying records. We'll see where it goes from here. Like I said, some records tied, some not. But, you know, it's been a, a landfall year. Thankfully, a lot of them have not been as bad as they could have been. I still think back to 2017 when we had that string of storms that went through the Caribbean, you know, just one after another after another, and how much devastation there was with that. And I don't think we've seen the level of that this time, but Zeta did some different things. Now, those that don't know the impact that tropical cyclones have on the U.S. or don't really think about it, and this can be for people that live in the U.S., the rain that comes with tropical cyclone season is actually pretty important to normal rainfall totals for parts of the southern U.S. You may not think of that as normal, but it is. It's where kind of some of the fall rains come from late summer, early fall rains, or even as now, later fall rains. And they can be essential to getting the norms. However, the South has had kind of a wet, at least parts of it had have had kind of a wet summer year this year. As you all know, I have relatives that are still in that vicinity. And as Zeta blew through, you know, you're thinking, okay, you know, it's been over land for a while, and it has. But still had some pretty strong winds. But with that moisture and the types of trees that grow often in that region, just tons of them came down. Lots of power outages. So one of those times when you go and you look at a map and it's just bling, 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 bling everywhere. All sorts of power outages. And, of course, this impacted some people I know, which in turn led to me doing some Zeta work, if you will. Which in turn also led to me recording this podcast a little late. So I ask you to bear with me. And, and we even had a impacts up here in the New York City region. Uh, a lot of rain, and it impacted my ability, for instance, to go out and do a ride. I was going to do a ride on Friday, but there was just way too much standing water. Couldn't really do that. Had a good, healthy rain. We've been dry up here. Much of the U.S. has had a very dry year. But, alas, Zeta's kind of moved on. Like I said, we're watching Ada, although it looks to be more of a Central American thing, at least in the short term. So hopefully it won't be too devastating or too traumatic for the areas down there. We've also had a lot of cold, warm things going on. Big pocket of cold air in the U.S. and another one in Europe, maybe not as strong. Again, we're talking northern hemisphere here, but the contrast of that is in the northeast, kind of Siberia area, and even over the Arctic Ocean, really warm temperatures. Not uncommon. We see this sort of thing. So we've kind of got this yin-yang thing going on with, with temperatures around the globe. It's kind of very normal. You know, people don't often think about, and we've talked about it in the past, when you think about one area, if one area is really cold, quite often you do have another area that's hot or vice versa. It doesn't always play out that way. But this time of year in transition seasons, you will see that a lot. You know, this kind of wave or sinusoidal look to things. And that was going on. But the populated area here in the U.S. happened to be really cold. And I mean, astronomically cold. We even had some friends that that have a house just north of New York City that got snow in October on, on Friday morning, very unusual, very early for this 
area to get snow. Parts of New York State do this time of year. Or it's about the start of the season, but for a lot of the areas, it's it's exceptionally early. Uh, not unheard of, but but early by by any means. Cold where I'm at, got down to freezing, that sort of thing. So uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes. You all know I'd love a cold winter. I'd have no problems with a cold winter, but we'll see how that all plays out. All right. The thing that I've had people, of course, asking me about is, what about the elections? For those who are just in a hole or living in another part of the world that don't realize it, we've got our big presidential election coming up, and and not just presidential, but you know, it dictates the change at, at a national level, everything that kind of goes on, so senators, congressmen, and if you don't understand all that, don't worry about it. Just know it's huge for the U.S. And I've done a, a podcast in the past where I talked about this. I don't, you know, what weather, how weather influences elections, and it can in terms of turnout. The difference is this time, I don't think weather is going to be to blame. And that's kind of where I was getting with this. A couple of people asked me, you know, what I saw on that front. Not much. I think there'll be some areas that you know, may be a little warmer or cold. Actually, if anything, we're probably going to see more on the warm side than on the cold side. Eastern U.S. looking to be a little cold. Western U.S., or I could say Western two-thirds, looking to be a little warmer. Uh, for this time of year, it's probably not going to drive people away from the poles. Might have some areas with a little bit of wind. But from a precipitation standpoint, actually most of the country is going to be dry that day. So it's also been a little unusual that we've had with the setup with COVID and everything else, we've had a lot of mail-in ballots. We've also had a lot of people doing early voting. And so I don't know that it would be as big a deal anyways. That said, I don't think it's a big thing to be worried about. Let's get to bees. Bees. All right. I mentioned that this came up when I was kind of looking into the whole idea of how weather influences sweet things, right? Whether it's the crops that are grown that create sugar or whether it's particular fruits, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I was talking about in there that a lot of times you'll see in orchards that they've gone and they've planted stuff that doesn't make sense. Like you'll see these nice apple trees and then you'll see some that don't look like they belong. That's not uncommon. They do that for from a pollination standpoint. And that's where the whole thing about bees came up. That said, that said, it made me wonder, right? Is this real? Now, if we go way back, we've talked about animals and sensitivity to weather. I even did about dogs as weather forecasters back in episode 29. So I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to go re-listen or if you haven't caught some of the early episodes and this sort of thing interests you. But we've probably all at some point been around an animal that has some sort of sensitivity to weather, whether it's a dog that's afraid, which is what I was talking about. You know, we were dog sitting and this dog that buried its head under my pillow. And I, you know, very quickly realized it's a dog afraid of thunderstorms. But what I found in that previous investigation suggested not really maybe a way to tell what weather is coming. Now, you might be able to as an individual who understands your one pet or one animal, but we find there's a lot of uniqueness in breeds even within dogs. Some dogs love being out in the weather, and, and it can be an individual animal as well. Two dogs of the same breed, one may love it, one may not. There are exceptions to that, but, you know, whatever it is, there wasn't enough evidence to suggest that I would use dogs as a weather forecaster. But how about bees? How about something that's a little less, you know, this is not a breed that's, 
in captivity for generations now, honeybees. And there's been a lot of talk about honeybees and climate change and that sort of thing, so it seemed a logical connection. And when I was looking at that story where the kind of the comment was made about bees as weather forecasters, it called on an article that was published in 2015 that I thought was really cool when I went and looked at it because what it was really about was tech and weather. And, and you guys know I always get all worked up about that sort of stuff. They were putting RFIDs. And if you don't know what an RFID is, just think of those little kind of like barcode things that you put on something that can be read by a device. So it's kind of like where they know where your packages are. They're not always the UPC codes you might see or even the new little QR codes, but think of it as being a little tracking device that's on something, right? And that little RFID, think about it. It's on a B, right? It's think of it as like almost being like a little tattoo on a B. It, it has a little bit more to it than that, right? But here it is, a little tiny B with a little tiny RFID on it. And what they were tracking was the behavior when the bees came and went from the hive. Now, the the short answer was what they found, all right, if I, I went through this article, because it's really more of a letter to the editor, it really wasn't like what I would call a peer-reviewed article, a few pages long. But the short thing, the walkaway point, if you will, was when rainy days are going to be the next day. And they, you know, there's criteria for what they define a rainy day, not just a little bit of rain, but a meaningful amount of rain, that the bees worked longer. So they did a longer day the previous day and they generally stayed out later. So they got every bit of sunlight they could or whatever. I don't know if bees forge and I don't think that they do, but this, let's just say, instead of coming back at a normal quitting time, they worked until long hours in the evening. But the real question is why? And they hypothesized about some potentials about why, but the conclusions weren't much more than the suggest bees have a sensitivity to weather. Not necessarily that it was conclusive, but that maybe there's more to it than that. Maybe somehow we could draw on that. And that's where a whole bunch of articles, so right after this, for the next year, and like I said, I've, I've mentioned this before, you get a whole bunch of articles published that say, oh, there's this research bees as forecasters in that one. And I even saw somebody that talked about they did an experiment, and this was a beekeeper, right? Did an experiment in their own you know, set up that talked about how they, they had noticed the same thing. And they even tested it by like trying to do a sprinkler as opposed to just, you know, rain and found that it didn't necessarily influence things. Although they misquoted the article and what it was saying. So I'm not going to put a link into their, their review, I guess. But when I see these sort of articles, it's not uncommon for me to go, okay, they've referenced other work, right? So what did they draw upon? What previous work did they look to? Because I watched how these same authors published these findings in a variety of journals, and certainly all of them weren't related to bees and meteorology. This was one that they happened to pick. Maybe one of the authors had a little bit of expertise in the area. So you always find some interesting things that they pulled, right? Some maybe some well-known past articles. And there were two that kind of caught my attention. First one was one in Bee World from the 70s. Now think of a perfect name for a journal, Bee World, right? Apparently a very well-known journal still exists today. Been around a long time. And I'm always, a little side note, every time I read articles or journal entries of any type from back in the age before there were personal computers, let's just use that as a cutoff. And I look at the detail that they put in these things. Just think about how hard it used to be to try to put together 
that sort of thing. I mean, I worked on a high school newspaper, and I still remember when we had to lay out the articles to go to print, right? And that was even in the age when personal computers were coming around. But we really didn't have desktop publishing and those sort of things. And I'm always amazed. Not only that, because trying to determine whether something had been studied for was very difficult. Now it's real simple. Like when I was going to do my research in grad school, there were some challenges, you know, how to do the proper searches to make sure that you weren't missing something. And it's even gotten that much easier now. But still, that was just sitting in front of a computer doing some searches, right? And that could lead to driving you a little bit of crazy to find something that was new and different. But think about it back then. I mean, I had to go and look through journals and try to, you know, get a understanding of what had been published previously. But what they examined was the impact of electrical charges on bees, because there had been some belief that there was a connection, and, and they found that there definitely was. But it, they didn't focus on the weather. The weather was a section of it, because they were looking at, like, electric fences or electro fields of any kind and what that might be doing to bee populations. And what they found, right, was that electrostatic fields are important to bees They're just in their existence. And think about it. It's a great time of year to even talk about this. You ever rubbed your feet on carpet, and particularly with a pair of socks in the wintertime, and, you know, you, it's dry air, and so you get this nice charge buildup, and you either touch a, a doorknob or you touch a friend or something like that, and, and you zap them, right? Or you zap the—you can even see the little charge if you do a metal doorknob or something. And they were examining the same sort of things because the way pollen attaches to bees when they're carrying it all around and the way even bees interact with each other, sometimes they can move other bees with kind of an electrostatic field. It's kind of neat, right, when you think about it. But what the article, one of the things it was trying to understand was what impact weather played. And they specifically went into an example of four different types of days. So they had a sunny day, a cloudy day, a kind of just rainy day, and then a thunderstorm day. And they talked about all the different things. Actually, a rainy day can be good for bees because it tends to neutralize the charge. Sunny days are generally fine, but thunderstorm days cause problems, right? Drove them to, the bees to come home, which was consistent with what this other article found. It made them more irritable, which I thought was interesting. And it made it, it makes it harder for them to eat. And it made them more aggressive and likely to sting, right? So the theoretical takeaway from that is, all right, thunderstorms, bad time to be around a beehive, makes them irritable, makes them want to sting. Now, came across another article. It was about 10 years later in the International Journal of Biometeorology. It's an 80 study. It's still about the time of BC's coming out, but around the time still been hard to find out things because what I... What the article seemed to allude to was that they didn't know about this research in Bee World that had been 10 years before. Maybe they did, and, and you know, this the way I read the article didn't seem to come across. But what they found was kind of the opposite. All of them seem to find that when there's fair weather or nice weather, bees go away in, in mass, right? They're, they're out there doing their thing. Now, whether they're working harder, this article didn't really get into that. That's what the RFID guys did. But what they found is in on the sunny days that the bees that remained behind were actually more defensive and they were more likely to sting. The thought process also is on those clear days in particular, there's better contrast. 
so they can actually see the target better. But they, again, become more protective because they've got to, because there's lower numbers they're defending the hive. And they did not, therefore, find that when the bees came in because of storms or whatever, that they were more defensive. Now, all of this could be wrapped up in terms of what they, you know, one group called a rainy day versus a stormy day, you know, all the criteria. And none of them looked like they really went into it from a meteorological perspective. Right? So I might have used different criteria than they would have used. But they seem to be having these contrasting results. So I walked away with all this going, do these results contradict? Well, maybe, maybe not, like I just said. But there's clearly a connection between bees and weather, just like there's a connection between weather and other animals. But is it enough? Is it enough to count on them for forecasting? Well, you could argue that if all the bees are away, it's a sunny day. Well, come on. We kind of know that. And and that doesn't tell me much. Now, if you looked at the one article that said if the next day was going to be sunny, maybe they didn't work as late or as hard, I'd really have to dig into that research to say, hey, the criteria used for a rainy day, because, you know, it could depend. Did the rain come early in the day versus late in the day? What type of rain was it? Was, you know, or, you know, the area you're in, is it based on frontal boundaries? Because even the wording they use to describe what happens when a storm is coming was in reverse of what I would have said. And now some, all, almost two of these articles, English was not the native tongue. So I always cut some people some slack when I see that. But it seemed like they got the opposite thing, right? Is just looking at it, the wording they used was not a logical statement in terms of what happens when frontal boundaries come, what happens with pressure levels. That all said, I think you'd really have to know specifics about what happened for that type of storm. Was it, you know, what type of fronts were they? Were they warm fronts? Were they cold fronts? Was it a type of situation where it was a frontal boundary versus just a, you know, a pop-up summertime thunderstorm? In my humble opinion, jury's still out. Do they seem to have a connection? Are they more likely to be away from the hive on a nice day? Yeah, that part seems true. So maybe on the same day, you could see if the hive was relatively empty, that the bees aren't sensing any bad weather coming in. But I couldn't really tell what the lead time was. And I don't know that I would, you know, go away and say, okay, this is a better 12 or 18 or 24-hour forecast. Although today in, in New York, we, okay, so I, it, again, I'll digress a little bit here. There's a, an app out there called Strava. Anybody who's in the exercise probably knows what it is. But I was follow, I follow a bunch of people and a bunch of people in the area were all complaining about how all the weather apps missed the rain coming in today. Well, you know, sometimes if you're going to go for a ride, you got to dig a little bit past the basic app and, and look at the data. And maybe if rain's supposed to be coming in the next six hours, look at the radar, you know, just glance a little bit. Because I looked at it and said, oh, I'm going to ride inside. So, you know, I got on the in, inside bike and rode. But it's the same thing with the bees. And, and that's kind of what I'm saying is how much lead time are you really going to get? It might be part of a day. Is it going to be better than other options out there? Now, maybe, you know, maybe a situation is if you're in an area that doesn't have a lot of good weather forecast for, from different apps or different sources you might use, maybe it's, maybe it's a good option. Or maybe, you know, it's a, it's a first order option that you say, huh, looks like we might have in storms tomorrow. I was going to do X. Let me at least check. So maybe from that standpoint, it could be. I just don't think that we're all going to stop and 
get all busy on our weather forecast. All right. I did come across an interesting article. It has nothing to do with weather, but a lot to do with bees. Now, some of you probably heard about these killer hornets that essentially are hornets that are of Asian orange origin, excuse me. <laughs> and they're huge. They've shown up here in the U.S. recently, and they finally tracked down a nest and got rid of the nest in Washington State, so far northwestern corner of the U.S., for those that don't know where that is. They found a hive of these things. And, it I mean, I was reading even one of the people who went and said it gave him the willies or something like that. It really creeped him out how big these things were and to think about it. Now, apparently they're more likely to kill other bees. They're not a problem for us, but... It's like anything else, and a lot of this research is about how to keep honeybees around, as we've all learned. Honeybees are a good thing, pollinators. They do play in a very important role, so we definitely want them around and don't want other bees eating them. We'll see where that goes. Hopefully, it will not become too big of a problem, although expectations are we'll find more nests and have to deal with them, and we may just be one of those things that is there forever. We'll see. All right, folks. I'm going to let you go have a beautiful week. I hope it is a nice week where you are. I hope you're having great weather. If you want to talk about bees, if you want to talk about anything that hits you weather-wise, and like I said, I, you can hit me with any sort of weather question you want. It may not be something related to the podcast because, you know, we don't dwell on the weather part here, more the connections. But whatever it is, feel free to reach out. You can reach me, whatisabouttheweather at gmail.com. Or, of course, what is about the weather on Twitter or Mark underscore Jelinek on Twitter. You can get me any of those places. I'd be glad to try to answer whatever questions you might have or hear about episodes you might be interested in for the future. Or if I've already done it, maybe you haven't listened all the ones, point you to the ones that have. That happens every so often. People have an idea, and it's something I've covered before. But I don't expect people that are just getting into this game to go back and look. You know, some people do that. I'm always amazed when I get those sort of notices. So I'm, I've been catching up on episode whatever it is, and I'm curious. like, well, go forward a little bit, and you'll find out we've already kind of covered that. Any case, hope you have a great week. Apologize for this being a couple days late. Hopefully no more now that we're on eight air or whatever we get to. These storms or winter storms that come will not have a big impact on timing of future episodes, but it'll happen from time to time. Because as we all know, there's much more to weather than the weather itself. <laughs>